Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Mike tipped me off to a story out of Illinois. I said, hey, Steve, check this story out. I read uh, various versions of it on the internet. And then I simply went and pulled the order of the court. So there's no question this order of the court was entered. And we can just go based off of the findings here about something bad that happened to someone being prosecuted and what they weren't told about the prosecution. So this is from the Appellate Court of Illinois, 4th District. And the underlying case was the people of the state of Illinois versus Tyler Abbott. Tyler Abbott. And this is an appeal from the Circuit Court of Coles County. And uh, the findings of fact are simply laid out. And they're numbered. So for instance, it says, uh, number one, and by the way, this is the actual conclusion. They put that first, but we'll get there. Because defendants' plea proceedings were shrouded in impropriety due to an undisclosed per se conflict of interest, the trial court erred in denying defendants' motion to withdraw his guilty plea. So the man had pled guilty in court and later found out something surprising about the prosecution against him. And when he pointed it out to trial court, trial court said, no, no, you can't raise that now. And so the Court of Appeals is saying, yeah, yeah, actually he can, and this is a problem. So the man appeals from the trial court's order denying his motion to withdraw his guilty plea, the grounds for which was a claim of per se conflict of interest. And per se literally means that we don't need to examine this beyond how it appears. Okay, so the appearance here is going to be pretty obvious when we get to it. On March 26, 2019, the state charged the defendant with one count of domestic battery, claiming that something happened on March 25, 2019. He caused bodily harm to somebody else. And so that's the underlying claim, which may or may not be true. We don't know. And it doesn't matter at this point because we're talking about procedurally what happened to him when he entered the plea. On the same day, defendant appeared in custody before the trial court. The court set bond and appointed a public defender. Public defender. Now, I get a lot of uh, feedback whenever I mention public defenders because a lot of people say, you know, Steve, public defenders are paid for by the courts. Therefore, they're working for the courts. Therefore, they've got a conflict of interest. Well, that's how they're paid, but they do look out for the best interests of their client, and their client is the defendant. They're appointed to defend that person. But uh, we could argue about that. That's not the point here. On April 3rd, at his initial appearance and on the advice of his public defender, he pleaded guilty to domestic battery, was sentenced to two years probation, and 180 days in jail pursuant to the plea agreement. Unbeknownst to him at the time, his public defender was the mother of the state attorney assigned to his case. Therefore, and this is, this is the sentence as written by the Court of Appeals, that is, mother and daughter negotiated the terms of defendant's plea agreement. And they are allegedly opposed to each other because it's a public defender and a prosecutor. And so the defense attorney and the prosecutor who are negotiating are mother and daughter. And here's the thing. Someone, because the world is filled with contrarians, someone is going to say, Steve, that doesn't prove anything. I've known mothers and daughters who hated each other. I've known mothers and daughters who can be fair. I... The point is, it should have been disclosed. The court rules say that if there's a conflict like that, 
you have to disclose it to the defendant. And now, hearing that, if he wants to, he can say, eh, I trust him. I like mothers and daughters. They have great relationships. If he wanted to waive it, he probably could. But most people would say, yeah, you probably don't want to do that either. So mother and daughter negotiated the terms of his plea agreement, which he accepted, but he accepted it not knowing the relationship between those two. Presumably because, according to the record, the trial court had failed to admonish defendant of his rights and obligations associated with the entry of that plea and the possibility of taking any appeal therefrom, he did not file any post-plea motion or direct appeal. So, as a result of a July 2020 petition to revoke his probation, new counsel was appointed at which time defendant was made aware of the relationship between the mother and the daughter. So apparently he came along somewhere along the line and got back into the court system. They wanted to revoke his probation. He was assigned a new attorney, and the new attorney said, Hey, did you know that the prosecutor and your defense counsel had a mother-daughter relationship? It's news to him. So through his counsel, he filed a post-conviction petition seeking relief pursuant to the various codes of criminal procedure in Illinois. And he alleged he had recently discovered that his plea counsel was operating under a conflict of interest at the time she was advising him regarding the state's offer and the plea agreement terms. He sought to have his conviction vacated, claiming he was actually innocent, a fact of which he had allegedly advised his client, uh, his attorney. So he told her, I didn't do it. And she said, well, I got you this great deal. So defendant attached to his petition an affidavit filed in a similarly situated Coles County case from a judge there who acknowledged knowing about the mother-daughter relationship who had inquired of the Coles County State's attorney about the potential of a conflict of interest. According to the judge, uh, someone advised that they had looked into the issue and there was no conflict of interest. The court rules say otherwise, but so... The judge's affidavit also noted he had posed the question of a potential conflict of interest to the defense counsel in this case, who advised she did not anticipate having any problems working with or against the daughter, and she was not aware of there being a conflict of interest. But if you look at the rules themselves, so we'll get there. Relying on these opinions, the judge continued to preside over numerous cases with the mother and daughter on opposing sides. He stated, at no time did I believe that the mother-daughter relationship between the prosecutor and the defense counsel had any impact upon the manner in which a case was resolved. I did not believe that any defendant represented by the mother and prosecuted by the daughter received treatment that was more favorable or less favorable than any other defendant similarly situated. In my judgment, all interactions between the daughter and the mother were professional and appropriate. Judge O'Brien never advised any defendant of the relationship. So the judge knows, he's looking down at the people in front of him, there's a defendant, defense counsel, prosecutor, and the judge is speaking, and he knows there's a relationship, mother-daughter, right here, mother-daughter, and does not say to the defendant, by the way, are you aware of this relationship between these two people? So in October of 2020, the state filed a motion to dismiss claiming defendant was precluded from claiming actual innocence after knowingly and voluntarily pleading guilty. 
And here's the problem. Voluntarily, maybe. Knowingly, no. He didn't know all of the important facts. In an amended motion to dismiss, the state added that defendant's post-conviction petition was untimely since he did not file his petition within four months after the guilty plea entered in his misdemeanor case, and his petition was insufficient as a matter of law. Uh, the trial court then conducted a hearing on the state's amended motion to dismiss, and after considering arguments, the court dismissed and struck defendant's post-conviction petition as untimely, but allowed him to file an amended petition. Then defendant filed a motion to set aside the judgment pursuant to Section 2-1401, asking the trial court to reopen the petition based on the fraudulent concealment of the per se conflict of interest and his claim of actual innocence. Defendant attached several documents in support of his conflict of interest claim. In response, the state filed a motion to dismiss. They're going to stick their guns on this one. In March of 2021, the trial court considered the state's motion to dismiss court indicated it was going to address the conflict of interest issue and held defendant failed to establish that his plea counsel was laboring under a conflict of interest. The court stated her representation of the defendant was not directly adverse to any other client and representation of the defendant was not limited in any way by any personal interests. Referring to uh, a comment under Rule 1.7 of the Professional Rules of Conduct, the court found in this instance there was no significant risk of the family relationship interfering with counsel's loyalty or independent professional judgment. However, the trial court found defendant had alleged the existence of a meritorious defense sufficient to allow his motion to survive the dismissal. Defendant indicated he had new evidence in the form of a text message acknowledging that he was not the aggressor, etc., etc. We're talking about the underlying motion regarding the original claim. Defendant then filed an amended motion to set aside judgment and vacate his guilty plea, alleging that new evidence supporting his claim of innocence existed and he was never admonished of his right to vacate his guilty plea. Uh, in May, the trial court conducted a hearing on defendant's amended motion. Trial court heard evidence regarding the discovery of the text message. Defendant testified that... Um, his attorney did not tell him that her daughter was the prosecuting attorney. He said if he had known, he would have taken a different course of action. And I think most people would. Again, contrarians existing, someone's going to say, oh, I'd have no problem with that. I like my mother. After considering the evidence, the trial court denied defendant's amended motion to set aside judgment, finding the text messages, although they could have been considered newly discovered evidence, were not of such conclusive character that they would change the result. With the state's concession, the trial court admonished defendant of his appellate rights since he did not, had not been admonished upon entering his guilty plea. The court informed defendant he had 30 days to file a motion to withdraw his plea. So, defendant filed a motion to withdraw his guilty plea, alleging he was not aware his attorney was operating under the per se conflict of interest at the time she negotiated a plea deal with the state on his behalf with her daughter. He claims the existence of a per se conflict of interest was automatic grounds for reversal. The state filed a response arguing that the plea was knowing and voluntary. Again, voluntary, yes. Knowing, no. As he was unable to establish prejudice from his attorney's representation. In July of 2021, after hearing the party's arguments, the trial court ruled as follows. Of course, the court has heard, heard these issues and reviewed these issues before and made rulings thereon. And I'm considering the entire history of the case, allowing for arguments today. And I understand defendant's uh, counsel indicating the defendant's plea wasn't knowing and voluntary because he didn't know that his attorney was the mother of the prosecutor. 
But I've determined, based on the facts that have been presented through written allegations, and keep in mind there were a number of attachments from the discovery that's been done, but there is not a per se conflict of interest under a situation like that. And I studied comment 11 of Rule 1.7 of the rules that defendant's counsel reread for me, and really my interpretation is that in some cases there may be a significant risk that a family relationship may interfere with the validity or independent professional judgment. And of course, none of us have been present whenever mother and daughter were together at various gatherings, but there's nothing presented in the numerous pages that have been submitted, which include emails between the two, that would suggest that there was some some agreement to make one look better than the other. And that's not the allegation. The allegation is simply there's a relationship that's inappropriate, should be disclosed. There just wasn't anything there. Ordinarily, according to that comment, a parent of opposing counsel may not represent a client in a matter without the client giving informed consent. That, I find, before, and I continue to find, that on the basis of the materials that have been presented in support of the motion, that that isn't the case here. The petitioner hasn't shown it, so in any event, the actual plea itself, I realize the defendant did not know that his attorney was the mother of the prosecutor, but he still did receive a what I would consider a fair deal. The only reason it doesn't look good now is because he has a pending felony case that's affected by the plea. Well, that, and he found out that his attorney was related to the prosecutor. So he rambles like this, but he says that um, the question is whether there's some agreement to make one look better. In other words, the mother and daughter had to get together and conspire somehow. And that's not what the rule says. So defendant sought to withdraw his guilty plea because unbeknownst to him, his attorney was operating under a claim per se conflict of interest at the time she was negotiating the plea with the state and counseling him regarding the terms and consequences thereof. Defendant later learned his attorney was the prosecutor's mother. So that right there is the meat of this case. A criminal defendant's Sixth Amendment right to effective assistance of counsel includes the right to conflict-free representation. That is an Illinois case called People v. Yost. Illinois law recognizes two types of conflict of interest, actual and per se. A per se conflict of interest exists when specific facts about the defense attorney's status by themselves creates a disabling conflict. Only three categories of per se conflict of interest exist under Illinois law. One, when defense counsel has a contemporaneous association with a victim, the prosecution, or an entity assisting prosecution. Two, when defense counsel contemporaneously represents a prosecution witness. And three, when defense counsel was a former prosecutor personally involved in the prosecution of that case. So, a per se conflict arises when defense counsel has a connection to a person or entity that would benefit from an unfavorable verdict for the defendant. The Supreme Court has determined the connection must be contemporaneous. If a per se conflict is found, the defendant is not required to show the conflict affected the performance. However, a per se conflict of interest requires automatic reversal of a criminal conviction unless the defendant waives the conflict. So, as I've said before, if they had told him and said, just to let you know, we've assigned you counsel. This is your defense counsel, court appointed. But just so you know, there's a mother-daughter relationship between this woman and the prosecutor. Are you cool with that? He could have said, yes, 
I'm fine with that. He could have. But he wasn't given the opportunity to make that decision because he wasn't told. That is always the problem. And I've mentioned before that how often is it we hear stories where somebody says, I wasn't told something. And they go, oh, you wouldn't have behaved differently. Well, why didn't you tell them then? And so it's funny how often things that are important fail to get mentioned. And when they get called out later, people go, oh, oh, I, I didn't think that's important. That's why we didn't mention it. Although the uh, parties in the trial court proceedings, including several circuit court judges, relied on the rules of professional conduct to ultimately determine there was no conflict in this case, we need not resort to an examination of Rule 1.7 or the comments associated therewith. It is sufficient to note that defendant's appointed attorney was the mother of the prosecuting attorney and that no one disclosed this fact to defendant prior to the entry of his guilty plea. We can surmise no closer contemporaneous association between the defense and the prosecution than one of mother and child. So when you talk about uh, an association, people who are associated, uh, your neighbors, you're associated with them on some level, your co-workers, you're associated with them on some level, uh, members of your bowling team, you're associated with them on some level, your family members, your parent or your child. Now, of those various associations, which one creates the closest relationship? And I understand that it's not always going to be the case. You might have a situation where a mother and daughter are estranged and haven't spoken in 20 years and they hate each other. That's possible. But again, get back to the thing I'm always talking about. And that is you can have a problem or a, a conflict or you can have impropriety, something is improper, and you can have the appearance of impropriety. So, you've got a mother and a daughter on opposite sides of the V, as I like to say. Case caption is, you know, Smith versus Jones, or People versus Jones, and the V in the middle. So you've got mother and daughter on opposite sides of that V, battling it out in court, supposedly. Okay? If you tell both parties... By the way, you know this relationship exists, and they say, that's okay. They can waive it, but they would know. But how many times do you think people are going to say, oh, I'm cool with that. I'm good with that. So we can think of no closer contemporaneous association than one of mother and child. Unlike a relationship between a client and counsel or an employer and employee, the familial relationship presented here is and will be forever ongoing. The ongoing relationship unquestionably satisfies the Supreme Court's requirement that the connection be contemporaneous. Further, it is unquestionable that defense counsel has a very clear connection with a person who would benefit from an unfavorable verdict for the defendant. There you go. Uh, it is reasonable to assume a parent such as the defendant whether expressly or implicitly, wants her daughter, the prosecutor, to be successful. Unfortunately, in this instance to do so, she must achieve a result which could be seen as unfavorable for her client. Because such a desire on counsel's part would be difficult to gauge, our Supreme Court has created this per se conflict of interest concept, where one need only provide facts about a defense counsel's status, which by themselves or on their face reveal a disabling conflict. So therefore, they're going to grant the relief the guy seeks, and they're going to send it down for further proceedings and let him withdraw his plea 
and make the state jump through the hoops of prosecuting him. And for once, hopefully, there won't be an inappropriate relationship between the prosecutor and his attorney. And so (laughs) the troubling part about this case is not just that this happened. That's problem number one. Okay, so guy goes to court, they assign him counsel, he gets up, his, his attorney talks to him and cuts a deal with the other side without disclosing, by the way, mother-daughter relationship. Didn't disclose that. He enters the plea and he goes on. Somewhere down the road, he discovers that. Goes into court and files motions to get it set aside. And it looked to me like there were three separate hearings, post-conviction hearings at the trial court level where the trial court bent over backwards to say, no, sorry, no, I don't see it. No, don't, don't even get what you're getting at here. And the Court of Appeals looks at this and goes, wait a second. Mother-daughter relationship between the two attorneys who are facing off on the other sides of the uh, equation here? That is a per se conflict of interest. Uh, huh? <laughs> and so that's one of the things I know a lot of people who comment on my videos often say. They go, Steve, it's maddening. How often you've got stories where courts appear clueless on some of this stuff. And yeah, you have to understand how many courts there are out there, how many judges there are out there. And and the ones that make the news aren't the cream of the crop. And so the attorney in this case, uh, who didn't see the conflict of interest between the mother and daughter opposing each other, um, might want to brush up a little bit on some of the law. But I can tell you something, and this is um, a, a poorly kept secret. I've never liked that cliche because it's supposed to be funny, but it's stupid. But a lot of prosecutors uh, get assigned to particular courts. So if you are working for the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office in southeastern Michigan, uh, they might assign you to a particular court. So every case that gets brought up in one particular court is yours. Okay, So what winds up happening is, a prosecutor will be in a courtroom over and over again. And so they get to know the staff of the court. They get to know the judge. They get to know everybody. And so when the defendants come in with their attorneys, it's a new person or new group of people every single case. But the prosecutor starts to feel almost like they're part of the courtroom. And I've seen it happen before where the prosecutors walk around as if they own the place and they feel like they do because they're there so often. And they're so familiar to everyone there, they're treated like an employee of of, of the court, like they work for that court. But they don't. But the problem is that sometimes the courts then treat them that way. And so I've seen prosecutors get deference, meaning that that the courts bend over backwards to help out a prosecutor. And I've actually sat there and watched it going, "I, I, I don't get what's going on here unless it's simply that this prosecutor has been in this court so many times that the judge is going to go, I know this guy, I don't know that gal, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a crazy case, but it basically boils down to, and again, this is the holding of the, of the court, because defendants' plea proceedings were shrouded in impropriety to an undisclosed, per se, conflict of interest, the trial court erred in denying defendants' motion to withdraw his guilty plea. So they're saying that simply that relationship existing is a problem if it's not disclosed to the defendant. Again, they could have disclosed it. They could have said, do you have a problem with this? And let him make that decision. But they didn't make that known to him. And that's the problem. Quite often, a lot of stuff in life boils down to disclosures. What was told to someone? So this happened in Illinois. 
after all those hearings and a trip to the Court of Appeals, now trial court's going to have to look at this again and go, oh, okay, now I see what you're saying. Let's go from here. So that's the crazy part. (laughs) First part's crazy, but so is the second part, that it took this long to get here. So Mike, thanks for sending it, but there's an undisclosed conflict of interest. Nobody bothered to tell the defendant this court-appointed attorney was the mother of the prosecutor. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Don't allow anyone to decide which path you should choose to start your journey.